0: For everyone else, uh, again, it is really a joy to see you on this long weekend. Um, If you've been tracking with us over the last few weeks, you'll know that we just wrapped up a series, First Peter, we were in a series over there, and then we um, explored a message of hope that Peter's writing for the church. All right, so he's writing something to people scattered all over. And next week, we'll kick off our annual series, Gather, Grow, Go. So in that series, we revisit the ways that, um, and we, we think about the way of why we do what we do. Why do we gather? Um, why do we grow? Why do we go? How does this happen in community? So that's coming next week, which means this week is a freebie. We fit in the middle of our preaching schedule, which is... Uh, a delight, um, and so normally the way that preaching works at Bethany, we we meet as a team. We have a schedule set, and then different teachers co collaborate to create out the document or the trajectory for the series. Um, this week, we're going to look at something from the lectionary. The lectionary is. Similar, except it's much broader in its scope. So instead of just within Bethany, it is a practice and a way of engaging the Bible that is set through multiple denominations and through history. And so this thing we're hearing about, this text we're hearing, is something that has been preached on by thousands and maybe millions of churches before, through time, through history, and it will continue to be later on. And we're just one voice joining in this reflection on God's Scripture today. So there's something beautiful about tying ourselves in a time when um, it feels like we can pick and choose where we are to recognize that the way, the way we're engaging the Bible is a historic practice with many all over the globe. Uh, there's just beauty in connecting to a tradition that's bigger than ourselves, looking outside of ourselves. And so with that said, we'll begin in the Psalms today, Um, and as a way of preparing our hearts and just discerning how we might hear these words well, uh, join me for a quick word of prayer. God, we consecrate this time. We are grateful for this pause in our week, for this time to reflect and know you, to come to be known by you. We pray that uh, this spoken word would be faithful to your written word, and that it would lead us to you, Jesus our living word. Meet us in our encounter. We pray this with Christ, by the Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Uh, In Christian tradition, this psalm we're about to read is a very familiar one. Uh, I was connecting with Abigail earlier um, about songs uh, earlier in the week, and I was toying between this one and the one before it, Psalm 138. And When I said Psalm 138, Abigail was like, oh, switching it up. That's like the one no one talks about. Everyone talks about 139. It's the one—last week we had a quote from Inspirational Calendar on the screen. Obviously, like, that was a quote of the devil speaking to Jesus. Not a good quote to have on your calendar. This one, from this psalm, you could have one, because it's just full of wisdom for us in the moment. Um, But ultimately, like, as I was reflecting on this psalm, 139. I couldn't shake how the text just fits into the course of where we've been all summer. In our last series, we spent time teasing out 1st Peter's call to be living stones, right? To be firm in the faith, to have a grasp of where you're rooted, a firm foundation, but then also to have the capacity to grow. In 1st Peter, the book, you have this image, be a living stone. All of you be living stones. Make up the sanctuary and be a holy people. It's a call to uh, facilitate space and then to also facilitate encounter. That's the series we were at. And today, we have this whole text about being searched and sought out, about knowing that God is with us. Some of the subtitles in different translations, they speak to us. In the uh, revised version, it says, this is a text and a prayer about identity in God. Identity in God. Fitting after the series we just came out of, and fitting where we're going to go. Talking collectively, why do we gather, why do we grow, why do we go? It is with like this idea, as we enter new rhythms in the fall, as we... You know, new school year coming up. Perhaps it's a time to dive into old routines. Maybe you're discovering new ones. Um, Maybe you're forging a way of encountering different things, different season for your life. All of this can feel daunting. It can feel disorienting. Um, It can also feel really exciting. Like, we don't want to downplay that new things are exciting as well. But it feels all of this at the same time. And so with this sentiment this newness, routine, reimagining, rediscovering. It's with this that Psalm 139 serves us an invitation that gives us words to pray in the midst of new season. When we might not have the words to pray, like Amy was talking about, the practice of even memorizing scripture, or engaging the word, it gives us words to pray when we might not have them especially in the midst of upheaval, discovery, rediscovery, and newness. And so, I know the passage is on the screen here. We are in Psalm 139, and we'll read the first 12 verses. This is from the NIV. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. This, friends, is God's word. And we have a couple of observations to chew on from this psalm, from Psalm 139. As is our custom, uh, let us be considering how each one of these observations can turn into invitation. Remember, we don't just read the book. We want to allow the book to read us. You hear us say this a lot. Um, But we do that so that we might discover how Christ is being revealed in the Scriptures, in the world around us, and in how we're reading this holy book. Our first observation is What does it mean to know someone? What does it mean to know someone? This passage begins, right? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. As a soccer coach, uh, you know, in the coaching world, you know a lot of coaches because that bubble is kind of small, right? You know, um, and you spend a lot of time with each other, playing against each other on the coaching side, and then the same happens with players. You get to know them fairly well. I'll know, like, this guy has a tendency to use his right foot only, and so we'll adjust our game plan to that. Or if we're trying to recruit players, we'll say, oh, this guy's really fast, uh, but he doesn't have the culture mix, the, the relational mix that we want on the team, so we're not going to get him. You get to know parts of people as they engage in sport. But The question that sometimes comes to our mind when we have our scouting charts, we'll have uh, ideas of like the top ranked players based on a quality or something you do is like, do I know them as people or do I just know them as soccer players in their ability to perform a skill? What does it mean to know someone and know them in the way that God is talking about being known in this text? Knowing someone in their being versus knowing someone for what they're doing are completely different prospects. They're different conversations. Have you ever been to a party where you're meeting a bunch of new people and one of the first questions you get is, name, where you're from, that kind of thing. Second or third question along the line is, what do you do? We introduce ourselves based off what we do. The things we can perform the tasks or the jobs that we take on, our vocation. That's not to say that that's not an important part of who we are, right? But it's not the totality of who we are. And so when we read this, Lord, you have searched me and Lord, you know me. This is not the kind of knowing that David is praying here. As Western modern people, we can tend to think of no in um, a Greek rationalist sort of way. And so in the scriptures, that word gnoskin, that's the Greek word to know, thinks in that way, right? It involves kind of a standing back from something, right? Keep it at arm's length in order to know it. Take it and observe it from afar. Maybe uh, the language you'll use is the objective view of someone or something. Um, And it stresses a cognitive kind of knowing, knowing about, knowing facts and information about but the word here in the Psalms, in Hebrew, just pulls on a different concept, a different uh, framing of what it means to know someone. The word is yada, and there exists in the Old and New Testament a uh, relatively consistent understanding of how we come to know one another in this way. The word yadah comes through experience. This idea in the Psalms is knowing through experience so if we want to know something go online maybe watch a video or two gather your data right Uh, and we claim to know things well that's one aspect of knowing but what it's saying here is an experience through uh, or knowledge through the kind of experience And where this shifts in how we even interpret this whole psalm, how we read it, is that as we do this, it stresses a kind of covenantal knowledge. You are known in relationship and covenant. And so it's not knowledge in the sense of just cognitive, in the head, in the brain, but through the lived reality of each other. That's how this psalm is saying, you know me. You search me, and you know me. In the Old Testament, um, there's more of the sense of being known in the heart and um, in the relationships you have. And this involves like a lived experience. It also, sometimes in the Old Testament, you read the stories. It says like this person knew that person. There's an intimacy that's tied into that idea, being known in the Hebraic sense. And that brings us to think about how knowing God the way God desires to be known is through covenant relationship. And this psalm, as a prayer, as a prayer to God, invites us to echo the same God, you know me even before I know myself. You experience me, you know me fully. There's a major difference between just cognitive knowing and covenantal knowing. This psalm begins with covenantal knowing. Knowing through relationship, knowing through experience. Our second observation looks at the scope of how God knows us. Look at verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me, your right hand holds me fast. How do you hear this? Sometimes, and if you grew up in the tradition I did, The way we engage God uh, sometimes feels like the Christmas carol. I know it's early, although I was at Costco and there were (laughs) Christmas things up last week. So I think we're in fair territory. Um, Sometimes we hear this like Santa Claus, right? Like he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. And we feel like God is engaging us in that way. Making sure we're making it on the right list so we can get the gifts we want. How do we hear this when we hear that God is up to the heavens and down to the depths? If I go on the wings of the dawn and I go to the far side of the sea, even there your hand guides me. The nature of God's covenantal knowledge is complete. God's knowing of us is covenantal and complete knowledge. Think of the way that this image frames out where we exist in space. If I go up to heaven, right? If I go to the depths, if I go to the wings of the dawn on the east, and then look at, if you looked at a map, where are people existing? Where's the far side of the sea for them? To the west, right? All around, God is there. God is to the far extents of the globe around us. It's a recognition that No matter where I am, no matter where I can go, it's not that God is hovering over us. It's that we are existing within the being of God. Change the emphasis. Sometimes when we use that Santa Claus vision of God, it centers on God being somewhere else and then looking in on us, keeping us in line, keeping us in check. But this psalm is trying to help us recognize that God is all around us. We're existing in the life and being of God, up to heaven, down to the depths, from where dawn happens and to the far side of the sea. It's not that individually we're being looked at or peered in on. We're being held in life itself, God itself. So this is where, as we think about this psalm that asks "God search, God has search, and God knows me. And then also it invites us to think about the space we inhabit. The question for us is, what is this inviting us into realizing in our lives? Are there places in our lives where we think God isn't present? Sometimes we betray ourselves in Christian thought when we think, That God isn't already somewhere that uh, we don't think God is. When it's done poorly, this shows up in missions, in the way we we practice missions. We think that we might go somewhere and take God with us. But God's already there. God's already there. Sometimes we imagine that we want to be the light of Christ or the light of God in a place and it will bring the thing to, to existence. But as the psalm tells us, darkness, there is no darkness for God, who is everywhere. So what is this inviting us into then? It's saying, how do you recognize the light of God around us? The space and the way that God is already at work. For many of us, that might change the model a little bit of how we think about God. God. At times, perhaps you have thought that God is in the church or it's separated on one side of your life and then you have your work life and then you have your entertainment life. What the psalm is telling us is that in my recreation, in my work, in my church, in my relationship with family, God is here. And we're discovering our lives within the unfolding of God. So you search me. And you know me. You don't just know me in your brain, but you know me through covenant, through a relationship. You know me not just in one part of my life, like in heaven or down below or to the side or to the other side, but you know me in every one of these pieces because you hold life together. You hear the scope of how David is talking about God. How David is praying to God. God's knowing of us is a covenantal and complete knowledge. We haven't noted that the genre of this psalm uh, is a psalm, the psalms, their worship books and their prayer book. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. So it brings to mind that this is a reminder of faithfulness as God knows us covenantally and completely This is a psalm of praise, a psalm of thanksgiving. Which makes us think about this third observation. The psalm begins with a sense that God has searched us and known us, right? We just unpack that. The first verse, "You've searched me, you know me." We know that that knowing isn't just knowing facts about me, but it's knowing me in deep relationship through experience. And then notice how this psalm ends. We didn't have the the passage up there, but the psalm ends with this verse, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't it striking? This psalm already says that God has searched me and known me like already that's happened and still it ends by saying god do it again do it again may we encounter you again may you search me again it's striking it's already happened and there's still more to press into the psalm itself, as it invites us as uh, a way of praying, as a way of engaging the, each other, as a way of being known by God, tells us that the journey of faith is never one and done. That doesn't mean that we're not held in God's hand. The, again, the whole idea of the psalm is reminding us that God is holding us always breaking time and space and all of those things together. But it also is saying that on our response and um, reaction to the way God is at work in the world, we are continually in the act of saying, God, how are you inviting me into life? How are you inviting me to find you? How am I inviting you to search me out in the new spaces that I inhabit? Which brings us back to the idea of where we are for the year. Many of us, again, are rediscovering new rhythms, new things, new spaces, new seasons of life. And also we'll revisit old routines, old things. We're living in this tension of holding life together. And this psalm asks us in that space, in the way that we engage new practices, new life, for God to search us out and to know us completely in those spaces, in those spheres in our lives. So what would it look like to go to a new job, have the ability to, you know, make new relationships, recreate who you are in some sense? Or if you go to college, right? This is a huge thing part of the college journey. You get to not live off the history of people who have known you since elementary school. You get to rediscover the way that God has created you to be and represent that in the world. Maybe it's new school, right? New sports team, new club that you're joining, just a new hobby, something that's coming. What does it look like to invite God in that space to say, search me as I am trying to adapt to the new surroundings. And if we're revisiting something that feels older, that isn't necessarily new, it feels familiar, what does it mean to invite God to search us out there? God might have already met us or known us or searched us before, and still the psalm says, search me again, even though I know that you know me. I love the way that this psalm, in its structure, in its invitation, in the way that it talks about us from being formed from our very beginning till the end of our lives, how it reminds us that God is always in the, uh, the way of searching us and inviting us to be known in deeper and deeper ways. And how David, as the writer, amidst his life, amidst his triumphs, his highs, and amidst his valleys, his failures, is still able to bring himself to say, search me. There's something powerful about being able to say, come know me when someone knows your faults. There's something unique about that. It's a different kind of uh, of relationship. It's a different way of engaging. On one level, we might know someone, and this can be you know, tied to relationship or something. Use that as an image. Right? You come to know them in one way, and then as you are married or as you get to know them more, like you get to know more about them, but you also get to know them as who they are in new ways. In powerful ways. And so this psalm just brings these uh, different circles back for us. You know me and search me again. You know me where I am in space. Search me again. You know my heart. Search me again. And that's um, that's not to expose ourselves to say that we're intentionally hiding things. It's just to recognize that as we are sought out by God we actually reveal more of who we've been created to be. And so it's then not just a one-way relationship. As we encounter God and as we invite God to search our lives, to know us, what happens in that process is that we begin to realize more things about who we are. This is the beauty of the psalm. It starts with this idea, meta-idea, and then it just makes us revisit it again and again. Which is why, as a practice, this psalm has traditionally been prayed by congregations of people, written by one person in the midst of his life, but now opened up for us to pray. You'll notice in our service that we typically would have a moment of prayer between when we have worship and then uh, go into the sermon. We're going to end with an extended reflection of praying the Psalms. And so in the lectionary, typically, uh, for churches that follow and use this kind of ordering... Normally, you would have a sermon or a little homily on maybe the Old Testament passage, the New Testament passage, and then the psalm itself would be prayed through or worshipped around. So we're going to pray through this psalm. Uh, These last verses that invite God to search us, to know us, to know our hearts, and try me, know my thoughts, see if there is anything wicked in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Those last two verses... They're meaningful to me, particularly because every morning when I grew up, our family would sing this song together with this ending the, the, the time. And so what I would love us to do is I'm going to read over us as we reflect the first portion of the psalm, and then I'll invite all of us to pray these last verses together As we do this, hear the depth to which God already knows you. Reflect on the depth to which God already knows you. Consider the ways that God already knows you. And then when we finish that, we get to these last verses. May we invite God to do it again, to know us again, and hold us in the kind of relationship that can sustain us through new transitions in life, Through old patterns revisited, through all of the things life is throwing for us and inviting us to. Friends, let us join in prayer. You can close your eyes, you can do uh, whatever feels comfortable to engage this psalm. But let us recognize that we are hearing the words prayed from a long time ago by many people. We are not alone in this. Hear these words. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Your eyes saw my uh, my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Let us meditate on this prayer. And now let us pray these last verses of the psalm together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let us continue on in worship. And as we do so, do so with the recognition that as we've structured the service this morning, we started with a song about identity, who you say I am. And we branched out to creation and to the vastness of God. May we continue that thread in recognizing this psalm speaks to us in our uh, individual way of experiencing God. And yet it doesn't keep us there. It expands us out. So it's that sense that faith is, uh, faith is a personal thing. Right? It's a personalized thing, but it's not meant to just be private. It's meant to be shared and discovered. And so may we be attuned to that through our song and through the rest of the week, and let us continue on to worship.